Welcome to In-House Legal Uncovered, a major Lindsay and Africa podcast exploring what it takes to make it in-house. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of In-House Legal Uncovered. My name is Michael Sachs, and I am a partner at Major Lindsay in Africa and our in-house counsel recruiting group. Uh, my practice is helping to conduct general counsel searches and other senior level in-house searches for all types of companies, from Fortune 100 companies to family-owned organizations and everything in between. The theme of this podcast is candid and engaging conversations with leading individuals in the legal industry, and many of my guests so far have been general counsels or other senior lawyers. I wanted to go in a different direction from time to time and talk to other people in the legal space who have roles and career stories that are unique and dynamic. And that's where my guest today comes in. I'm really excited to introduce him. Uh, I've known this guy for maybe 20 years now, and we'll discuss that in a few minutes. But let me say hi to Ramji Kaul, who is the Assistant Dean for Career Planning at the University of Michigan, which is first in Ramji's heart, my law school alma mater, but only second in my little heart. Ramji, welcome to the In-House Legal uh, Uncovered podcast. Thanks for having me, Michael. Appreciate being uh, here. Great. Uh, I'm going to give the folks just a bit about your background, and then we'll get into the Q&A. So Ramji graduated from the University of Michigan from both college and law school. Uh, after graduating from the law school in 2005, Ramji joined the Chicago office of Denton's, then known as Simon Chai Nathan Rosenthal, and was there for 10 years. As a partner in the litigation and disputes group, he litigated cases in the state and federal courts, focusing on complex commercial litigation, catastrophe and major claims litigation, and class action defense. Ramji was the co-chair of the office's summer associate program. And then in 2015, Ramji joined the Office of Career Planning at the U of uh, Michigan and now serves as the assistant dean for career planning. Ramji, I hope I got that right. You got it right. <laughs> All right. Let's start. Let's start with kind of an easy one. Um, let's just start with having you maybe walk through your career a bit, kind of a couple minutes and how you got from uh, from there to here, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, so I grew up in in Michigan, in the metro Detroit area. And, and as you said, went to undergrad and, and law school here. I went straight through. So as the uh, students now use the phrase, I, I was K to JD. <laughs> uh, uh, I learned that one once I got back here. But um, I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, so K to JD and, you know, made my way out to Chicago uh, after graduation and, and started at Sun and Shine, as you mentioned. And honestly, I, I really thought I would be there for for two to three years. Um, my mom was a public school teacher in Flint. And so I grew up listening to public school education issues, policy issues. Never saw myself as a as a big, big law lawyer. but. Um, but wanted to try it out, financial considerations. I went to school mainly on loans, but saw myself as being at a firm for a couple of years and and then, you know, doing something else. And and that's a pretty common story, I think, that even students today still still come to law school with. Um, but, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the work. I, I really enjoyed the people that I was working with, you being one of them. And, uh, you know, just kind of put my head down and, and did a good job and, and looked up, uh, you know, a number of years later and, and was a partner at the firm. Um, so it was, you know, it was a ton of fun. There was, there was nothing that I was running away from, but, uh, you know, for personal reasons, my wife and I wanted to return to Ann Arbor. We met here in undergrad, her family's still here. Um, my family was still in the Michigan area as well. We had had a couple of young children. And so I started looking for, for opportunities in the, in the Detroit area. 
And, you know, I looked at what it would be like to practice in a firm here. Uh, as you mentioned, my practice was, you know, large class action kind of work. And, and more specifically, as it, you know, towards the time when I left, it was a lot of catastrophe work. And so even as that work lives around the country, it's generally sourced out of the major metropolitan areas, you know, the New York, Chicago's. So the practice didn't really live in, D in, in uh, Detroit as much. But um, somebody sent me a posting to this opportunity in the career planning office at the law school, knowing that I love Michigan, knowing that I had joked at times that I would always love to come back here. And uh, so I thought about it and thought about it. And it really, you know, being a, a, a first gen professional, um, being somebody who really had no idea what they were doing while they were in law school, having been involved in associate mentoring and, and uh, that kind of work at the firm, it really, I thought, boy, this would be a great way to pay it forward. This would be a wonderful way to to sort of do all of the things that that alums and others had 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 done for me. You know, help me avoid some of the potholes. Um, and so it was, I, I saw it as a form of service. But you know, it's a big financial change. It's a it's a big career shift. And so I kept mulling over it and mulling over it. And finally, uh, my wife gave me you know a wonderful piece of counsel. Uh, <laughs> she she said. Um, Listen, Ramji, you've got a couple of choices here. You can uh, keep talking about this job and you can apply for it. Uh, you can stop talking about this job and don't apply for it. But what you may not continue to do is keep talking about this job and not apply for it. And uh, it was some of the best career planning advice I think I've ever had. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I threw, my, threw my hat in the ring and, and the rest has been history so far. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is great advice. Um, we should we should pause for a second to discuss how you and I do know each other. Um, so I actually think I met you. Um, so I was coming to Michigan to recruit, as you know, law firm associates do. And I think we met. Was there a pizza party, like a reception or something like that? At uh, what's the big pizza place there? I apologize, I can't remember the name again. Pizza House, I think. Yeah, Pizza House, and I think we yeah. met there briefly. And uh, literally, you were one of the the first people. I mean, I I, hope that I was one of the first people at Sun and Shine that you met. Yeah, um, absolutely, and then, absolutely. And then I got named your mentor. Yes. Uh, but that was just like a name, and then I think I left like right after you started, right? Started, I think I left yeah. a few months later. Yeah, but um, you you helped me get through the summer. I, I you know as a as a wandering summer associate. Um, you know, great great advice, great mentoring, absolutely. I was in that jaded, cynical part of my career as like a seventh year and things like that. But no, you were always great. And then we obviously have kept in touch and have kids around the same age. And, you know, we do a lot of work for Michigan. You're at Michigan. So we've kept in touch over the years. And one of the people I'm really um, been proud to know over the years. So um, so uh, beyond my great mentorship for those few months we had, <laughs> who are the other? And again, it was name. It was we were appointed as mentor. Who are the other people that might have helped you uh, over your career in terms of Sounds like your wife gave you this great career planning advice. Other people at our old law firm or Michigan that have kind of helped you along the way. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been really lucky to have you know great mentors at every at every stage. Um, and some of that is you know what I get to talk to students about now is how do you find mentors? How do you how do you develop and keep in touch with them? Um, you know, but I I think of having mentors in all stages of my life. I mean, at the firm, you know, a lot of the big names that you probably know, I was lucky enough to to work closely with people like. Uh, Jeff Leonard and the, the late Rick Fenton and, and Bob King and Natalie Spears, Mark Hanover, you, Wendy, Anderson, um, you know, and, and I think I just got, uh, you know, re really lucky in the sense of um, those folks collectively, individually uh, allowed me to to grow and to learn. I was I was 
you know, as I mentioned, straight through from undergrad. Um, so I was pretty young, naive uh, even. And, uh, you know, they gave me the freedom to learn and, and allowed me to to make mistakes and grow. And and so one of the things I get to tell students now is, you know, sort of the idea of like we this whole thing that we are endeavoring to participate in is something we call practice. And, you know, practice, I, I, you know, look up the word, I mean, or quote Alan Iverson. I mean, like it practices, <laughs> practices is getting better through through mistake. You know, it's 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 growth through 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 trial and error. And so having people that allow you to grow that way has been invaluable. And now that I've been here at the law school, you know, I've 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 got new mentors. You know, Sarah Zierfoss, who's the dean of admissions, is ha, has really taken me under her wing and shown me the ropes of higher education and and how to be an effective administrator. That's a totally different skill set than what you might use even as a partner in a law firm. Yeah, well, we get to that in a second or two. But so when you made that decision to leave, you know, I can't remember if it was Denton's at the time or I think it was Denton's. When it was left. Denton's. Okay. Yeah. OK, yeah. So we'll stop calling it Sun and Shine, even though you and I still kind of refer to it a little bit that way. But when you did leave there and you gave up the practice, you know, albeit maybe temporarily at the time, what was that like to make that step? Did you have like those immediate regrets like right after you you made the decision or was it a pretty easy uh, choice? You know, it was terrifying to make. Um, you know, it, it felt like, you know, I was standing on the, you know, you, you're sort of trained to think like you, you get onto this path, you've invested all of this sweat equity, uh, in terms of, of building a career and then to sort of make a dramatic career shift like this. Uh, it was scary to sort of arrive at the conclusion, uh, that we were going to make this change. But again, like what was driving it was family considerations. And so it gave me, uh, you know, courage in my convictions, uh, for why we were making the change. But honestly, what made it possible to to successfully transition was again all these people that i had worked with and built great relationships with um you know the person who i was most one of the people i was most concerned about telling uh was rick um who you know is is um he was just sort of larger than life. He was sort of always, yes. uh, you know, really taught me all the all the things about how to be an effective litigator and and you know um so went into his office and i told him what i was doing and in a very sort of kind way, you know, he asked me, like, is everything OK? Like, did you, you know, is, is everything all right at home? Is something is somebody sick? Like, this is a pretty dramatic change. He used a little bit more colorful language than I, I'll share here. But, you know, and, and once he realized, like, no, this was just a change that that we wanted to make as a family. It was, well, how can I help? What do you need from me? Yeah. Um, and, you know, is there something that you can do to any way that you can stay on to help transition the clients and things like that. And so, you know, really once I made the change and I look back on it, it, it was like, you know, I felt like I was jumping off of a cliff into some foggy abyss and really it was just a, a very small step. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's that step. It's funny because my family and I just went zip lining over the weekend and we did this obstacles too. And all the obstacles I told people were like, no, no problem. The biggest problem for me was a zip lining, even though the zip lining is easier because it's that step to just choose that, like, just to leave there, to yeah. leave a platform and go there. And I feel like it's the same way with career moves, which is there's so much talking about it. Once you actually do it, there's very few of those moves that don't ultimately work for people. But yep. the actual step is very, very challenging. And so kudos to you for having made it. Yeah, it, it, you're you're 100% right. It's it's totally the first step. And 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 the thing that's, you know, you, we can say this and it's and it's true and we can know it intellectually, but it's really hard to internalize emotionally is it's not like all of the experience of practicing law leaked out of my head the minute I 
I left the firm. I mean, like, you know, I, if, if this had gone poorly, I, I, you know, there were still options and alternatives. It's one of the great parts about being a lawyer, but it, you, it's really hard to internalize that in the moment. Fair enough. So from your just day-to-day perspective of just like, uh, not, not details, but like, think about comparing what your life was like day-to-day as a partner in big law versus what your like day-to-day is, you know, at, at Michigan each day, those are two different lives. Like, how do you just, what's the, what's the 30,000 vibe that's different between those two? We can imagine, but what is it like? I mean, it's, it's interesting also how it's changed as I've been in this role a lot longer. Um, you know, we're in year eight now, um, uh, you know, having moved back here, but you know, the, there's some things that are obvious, you know, I, I have a, a bit more control over my time now than I did when I was in practice, um, you know, like there's no TROs necessarily, uh, in, in this job. I mean, it, it, we don't have that sort of sense of urgency. Um, but, uh, but, you know, these jobs also allow you to employ, you know, as I tell my team, you know, sort of what we can do is really only limited by our bandwidth and our imagination. And so if you want to sort of still bring that same intensity to this work, I mean, there's certainly plenty to do. There's an unlimited amount of improvement that we can make. There's an unlimited amount of 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 impact that we can have on students' worlds. Um, but, you know, there isn't that same sort of emergency that happens. I think that's the biggest day-to-day change. Yeah. So let's 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 talk about those students a little bit. I feel like I'm sort of when I was thinking of questions to ask you, but it's a very broad question. But like, what are students like these days? I mean, so much of uh, my life and so many of the general counsels and other lawyers that we're working with and my colleagues, we're, we're so many years removed away from law school now. And it, it's I, I imagine in some ways they're not that different from, the, you know, being there 20 years ago, but in some ways they're probably incredibly different. So how do you how do you describe the students these days, having yeah. gone through everything they've gone through and what they're like? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's right. I, I also sort of, you know, um, it was jo- just joking with somebody yesterday that you know, every year I get a year older and the students <laughs> stay the same. And so my distance from the students in terms of proximity of age and experiences is is growing ever, ever so uh, every year. But, um, you know, you're right. I mean, they they are incredibly impressive. I, I think they are in terms of the things that they've accomplished before they come to law school. It seems to me like they've done quite a bit more certainly than I did and and what I feel like most of my peers in law school did. And so yeah. they come to law school with, I, I think, much more accomplished in so many different dimensions. Their understanding of the world, their understanding of uh, legal issues and what they want to do with their time. Um, but in a lot of ways, they are so much the same. Um, you know, one of the, I think, big revelations I had when I came back to this role was um, they still have all of the same insecurities that that certainly that I did as a law student, that my friends did as law students. Um, they struggle with the same challenges in terms of entering into a legal profession that has uh, a lot of barriers to entry, a lot of challenges, and some of those challenges have gotten more extreme over time. But but so you know they're 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 both uh, they're both very different certainly than than when we were students and and still very much. Uh, the same. So when you, um, I mean, I, I recall being incredibly naive um, when I entered law school and didn't have a lawyer in the family. Um, like, what do students? I mean, what 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 do they talk to you about when they when they talk to you? Like, what's a conversation like? 
you know, how do you try to help them? Where, where do they need that help? Are they, um, I know this is a multi-part question, but are they yeah. like, clear-eyed about their future or are they just as maybe naive as you and I might've been, you know, 15, 20 years ago? What's, what's that, what does that look like? Take us behind the, the curtain a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to answer in terms of all students, right? Because they're all yeah, all at different stages and things like that. But, you know, I think the first thing is how different the career services components are, are at, at large law schools, certainly here. You know, when you and I were here as students, you know, the career planning office was, you know, two or three people. And now this place is, you know, it's it's a it's a small law firm. I mean, there's there's nine attorneys that work in this office. All of us have practiced for some meaningful period of time. And so, you know, there's I don't know, 90 years of collective experience in the office advising students. So, you know, the, the types wow. of questions that we can field and the kind, kinds of advice really can 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 vary depending on where the students at. Um, I think I don't know to answer your question. I, I guess I'll say two things. So um, one is. When I tell students, like, what do we do in the office? Like, what should you what are we going to work on affirmatively? You know, I think like lawyers fundamentally do two things. I mean, we solve problems and and we advocate and we do that in a variety of different ways for different clients um, in different venues. But, you know, what career planning is as a discipline is taking that and applying it to yourself. Like we're going to learn how to solve problems in this instance. The problem is what do I want to do when I grow up or at least what do I want to do, you know, three years from now? And then we have to learn how to advocate, but just in this, in, you know, self-advocacy, like how are we going to tell stories about ourselves that are positive? It's, it's really sort of core business development skills. So what do some of our conversations look like? It looks like working on those things. Like how are we going to educate ourselves about the practice of law, about different practice areas, about different sectors? How are we going to learn how to, you know, tell positive stories to, you know, the core business development skills. So we're working on those things. Um, but then there's also like a big component of what we do, which is, and I think this is probably one of the most valuable things that we can do with students, is help them understand and make sense of competing advice. You know, mm -hmm. so I, I sort of tell students, uh, you know, orientation and beyond is like, look, you've entered into this legal profession and, you know, newsflash, every lawyer has an opinion about what you should do with your life. Uh, and on top of your parents and friends and family and others. and you know, some of that advice is going to be directly in conflict. Some of it may seem like it's in conflict when it's really not. And one of the things that we can do is help the students make sense of, you know, competing pieces of advice about what they should do or what matters to employers or something like that. So is it uh, all I'm, I'm curious? I mean, sorry to interrupt. But like, yeah, go, go for it. When I was there, it was in the tech boom. And so at the end of the day, no matter what you wanted to do, there was this funnel and everybody went to a large law firm. It was very easy to get offers and everybody at the end of the day, 95% of us did the same thing. That's gotta be a bit different now, right? I mean, they're probably weighing, many people are still going to those large law firms, but there's gotta be other interesting channels they're looking at or mid-sized firms. Like, is that what they're weighing? Or is that the competing advice they're getting? Or is it like the geography? Or is it like two firms in particular? Like what's the, what are well, maybe those, what's that advice look like? Well, I, I'll give you one example, one that comes up pretty frequently, right, is, uh, surrounds the, you know, what do firms do with grades? And so in one year, the student hears uh, really what all big firms care about are your grades. Your grades are the only thing that matters. And in their other ear, what they hear is, you know, grades are only a uh, momentary reflection of a particular legal skill set, which is not going to be a predictor of your capacity to be a lawyer and your success in the profession. And 
those seem like direct conflict. And and if you don't really have a clear sense of what it means to be a lawyer and 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 in the, you know there are plenty of students who would I think uh, agree that they are just as naive as you and I were when we were here as as first year law students. It's really hard to make sense of that. Like what what does that mean? And so trying to help students understand what grades mean, what they don't mean, how does an evaluation take place, how do firms use grades, right? It's sort of like that kind of thing, like what's the process and, and, and that makes sense. The, the other part is, um, you know, what do you, how do you make sense of rankings? That's a big conversation both in, in, the, in the law school world right now. It's a, it's a big conversation, I think generally, um, you know, medical schools are also facing these, these same questions. Yes. Law, fir law firms, what's the, what does it mean to be an AMLAW 100 firm, a vault firm, you know? And so they're trying to make sense of what do these rankings actually mean? How much weight does the, you know, does an in-house counsel put on the fact that, you know, XYZ firm is ranked four in vault and this other firm is ranked seventh? Do they really care? Right. And so like trying to give them some advice along the lines yeah. of, of what matters there. So it's sort of like on one hand, if they want to have advice on maybe you helping them figure out where they stand, but then also maybe they want to know where these other places sort of stand too and kind of figuring that out a little bit, maybe that that matching part of it. It's a little bit of the matching, but a lot of it is just contextualizing, you know, what, what industry information, you know, yeah. what, what, what does this mean? You know, these days, um, you know, one of the converse, you know, one of the main questions from students, you know, if you're keeping up with the legal news, there's deferrals of incoming classes. What does this mean for me? Uh, you know, uh, Reddit told me X, uh, you know, uh, above the law told me why, um, you know, I, I heard from a, another attorney who said Z, you know, Ramji, can you help me make sense of that? So, uh, and that's fun. I mean, it's, it's fun to help students sort of navigate these difficult questions, interesting questions, um, and give them some perspective. You mentioned the, uh, in-house, I'm curious, my kind of final question in this category is, like I was going to ask you, are they are they focused primarily on kind of how they get that first job or a lot of them? And I know it depends on every person, but are a lot of them thinking about what my career is going to look like, you know, 10, 15 years later? Personally, I know I was only focused on that first job and I spent no time thinking about that. It's a big mistake by me. Or is it 50 50? What do you what do you what do you, what do you see from people? It's it's a. Uh... It's not so much sort of trying to set up dominoes for the next 15 years. I mean, in a lot of ways, when I'm talking with students, I try to dissuade them from that type of approach. I think yeah. we're not, we don't have the wisdom and insight to set up the dominoes that, that, that strategically. Um, one of my, one of my professors here, I don't know if you had him as well. He's now the general counsel at Ford, uh, Steve Crowley. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, he, he had some great, I had dinner with him and some students a few years back and he had, that's <laughs> one of the best pieces of career advice. He said, listen, career planning, you got to have two really you got to commit to two four principles one you got to have a plan and two you have to be ruthlessly dedicated to deviating from it <laughs> and so yes. you know this this idea that like we can set up the dominoes not so much but what students do want is to keep those options open you know and there was a uh the harvard law grad student grad speaker from a few years ago he has this great line um i'll paraphrase but essentially essentially he says like we're, we are the netflix generation um, we, we, if we have 45 minutes to watch a show, we spend, you know, 25 minutes trying to figure out which show we want to watch, leaving ourselves very little time to, to actually watch the show. And, you know, the only thing worse than keeping all the doors open is sleeping in the hallway. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. It's, it's a great perspective. And so students want 
to keep those doors open. So their questions are more like, if I go to this place, yeah, will there will there be doors that are open? Not so much. Yeah. I'm going to this place so that I can get to the next place. And that's a hard thing, I think, for particularly as you go on in your career, because maybe not right when you go to a since you know most people in a normal economy go to a big firm. Um, you're not closing any doors, but what I try to tell people is as you make the moves after that, your second, third, fourth job, there's really no way to avoid closing doors behind you at the end of the day. And the only question is, what are those doors? And you have to accept as you make big moves like you did and I did that you are leaving closing some doors and you're OK with that. And that's really hard for a lot of people to do. Yeah. And and to have the confidence that, uh, you know, it's very cliche, but one door closes, other doors open. I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, moving out of my position in a law firm did close some doors. Absolutely. Um, and now it's opened others. I mean, so 100%. you just kind of you kind of got to be OK with that. So, you know, being an active, you know, thinking about, you know, you in 2015, you know, responding to that ad, applying, what sort of surprised you the most? Um, you know, what would you tell yourself, you know, then, you know, about what you've learned about, you know, is it the students? Is it interacting with the faculty? Is it, uh, you know, you're an assistant dean now? You know, what is it? What, what didn't you know then that you know now that maybe surprised you the most over the years? Um, you know, it's an interesting, I, I think one thing that has, one, one is that I think I mentioned this before a little bit, but how many students sort of have the same insecurities that I did when I was a when I was a student and it doesn't matter their background their pre preparedness for practice anything I mean we all sort of are humans and struggle in the same ways uh, the imposter uh, sort of syndrome that that infects so many of us and and so I think it surprised me how many students struggled in the same way I did I thought it was because I didn't know any lawyers when I got to law school that's not actually the case um, I think the other thing that that probably I've I was not expecting is this has helped this job has helped me be a better communicator, helped me be a better parent. Uh, I think more critically about emphasizing process rather than results with my kids, um, because I you know control what you can can control. Uh, mm -hmm. You know you you can't control the outcome necessarily, but you can control your effort. You can control your commitment to improvement. And, you know, so so much of what I do is spending time coaching students now about, you know, overcoming challenges academically, overcoming challenges and setbacks that they might perceive to, you know, have arisen because of career this, career that, alums that I counsel. Uh, it, I think it's made me a better parent, certainly a better communicator. Yeah, that's an awesome answer. I love that. That's great. Um, uh, of course, I have to ask the uh, the requisite kind of COVID question. Uh, about what it was like. Part of it, I think one of the reasons I thought about that is because I'd reached out to you in those first like three to six months. And I don't know if you remember this, but we had a we had a video call and you you seemed very depressed at that point. I, maybe I was equally as depressed and maybe I caught you in a bad day and you caught me in a decent day. But I remember thinking, wow, this seems really rough right now. So what was it like on the front line then? Like how did uh, how did students act, faculty yeah. You know, give us the I know that's a, everybody gets that question, but just but just take us take us behind the curtain there, too. Yeah, I mean, it was as you observe, I mean, it was very difficult. It was very difficult on everybody and in a variety of different ways. The students had their challenges. Uh, we certainly had ours in terms of being administrators. Um, you know, the faculty were, were struggling on their own, you know, to to you know, shift the entire way in which classes are taught. Um, I, I think, you know, couple of different observations so so one is you know in a student facing role so much of what we're trying to do I mean the reason why we're in these jobs the reason why people are leaving practice to come work in career planning offices is because you have a strong 
mentoring engine or a strong sort of desire to be helpful. And there was so much happening during COVID uh, where we were helpless uh, to, to sort of help students, right? Like we couldn't fix or we couldn't help support in so many ways. Um, you know, there's a anybody who's in higher education talks about uh, and has probably experienced at some level, you know, we we're living in a mental health crisis when it comes to student wellness and, you know, COVID only compounded that. And so some of the structural challenges that we have in higher education got really sort of, you know, yeah. pronounced. So it was tough. And, and that's a hard thing to deal with when you're we're trying to work with students and be helpful and, you know, they're upset. Um, and the other part was just trying to be very empathetic that the student experience was, I think, perhaps more difficult than than certainly my experience uh, as as somebody who's working in a job, um, because for all of us, you know, as, as you know, COVID affected everybody differently. Um, it still is affecting people. Uh, I don't mean to diminish that, but but um, you know, for example, there were periods of time where you know, somebody in my family was sick. And so I could downshift a little bit my effort. I could put things off. I could move things around to give myself a little bit more bandwidth to deal with what was happening at home. And the consequence of me doing, instead of an A plus job, an A job or an A minus job was, you know, sort of felt, but, but within the band of what was acceptable. And for students, they were still being graded. Right. They, they, they're still there. They got to go to class. They still have to perform well on, you know, exams. They still have to, you know, they still have competitive components to their, their, you know, on the job front. Right. They're trying to be competitive candidates and, and get out there and interview. And like there's there was very little ability for them to cycle down and take care of all the same family and personal and, you know, sort of world, you know, pay attention to world issues that, that we were all dealing with. And so I, I I'm very sympathetic to to their to those students that went through COVID at that time. It, many of them, you know, sustained periods of isolation. It was tough. It was tough. Luckily, we're sort of coming out of it. I think this last year felt much more pre-COVID. Um, you could tell from a student sort of I think sort of like vibe on campus. Those kinds of things were we're, we're sort of getting back to the pre-COVID experience, which has been fun. Yeah, my uh, that's. Great summary of it. I think, like again, we could talk about COVID for you know 38 hours. Nobody wants to do that. Um, and you could argue about each how it impacted you at each maybe age of someone's life and status and where they were at and it affected people differently. And you could point out, well, I'd rather have been here when COVID hit in my life or here. But I would think that the hardest, the people probably hardest hit are those who lack control of, of situations and felt at the mercy of other factors. And if you're a student, a senior in high school, a college student, a student, a second year associate at a firm, and you feel like you're at the whim and you don't have control in your life, a, a new parent, you know, with a one-year-old or something like that, and you just can't do certain things, that's probably had to have been the hardest, I, I, I have to imagine. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like uh, we would have, I would have student appointments. I, I you've sort of alluded to. Them. I'm okay, young kids. I've got a 11 year old, eight year old, six year old, and then time of COVID, the six year old was a three year old in preschool, which was closed down. So she was at home with us all day without anything to do. So she participated in a lot of student meetings, some faculty yeah. meetings. Um, but that's the kind of flexibility that we were, you know, grace was given to everybody. You got a kid sitting on your lap, and everybody sort of shrugs and says that's the way it is. Um, but you know, the student version of that isn't as 
accommodating, right? Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm not able to go to class this week, you know, okay, that, that doesn't work, you know, so it's tough. So kind of a lightning round of maybe some miscellaneous questions I want to see if we can get to. Um, so, you know, you were you know humble and said, oh, you've learned these communication skills. I actually think you've always been an excellent communicator since I've known you. Um, but with that, with that said, what are those um, to be in a position like yours? Like, what are those EQ skills that you think you need? Like, what is somebody who's in your job, either there or in a different university? Like, what do you think you need to have to be, you know, uh, working with students all day on these issues? What would you recommend to others who are maybe want to pursue a career in this uh, you know, o- o- over the next you know, 10, 15 years? What would you say to them? I mean, some of it is is just the idea of practice, right? I mean, it, I, I think emotional intelligence, it, you know, it can be coached at some level. It, some of it, you know, improves over time with practice. And so spending a lot of my time listening, you know, sort of turning off the part of the brain that wants to respond immediately when you start to hear a question, um, I think was 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 a big part in, in sort of training and improving the communication skills. Um, some of it is just studying, you know, you, you start to study concepts of communication. I mean, these are things that we don't necessarily do as junior lawyers or, or, or when we get into leadership positions in firms, we don't study leadership concepts. We don't study in the same, with the same intensity that we would study our, our, our area of expertise in the law. And so doing that has also opened up, you know, new ways of me thinking about how I communicate. Um, and, you know, some of it is also what's now referred to as coaching sort of executive coaching right which is i'm not i'm not trying to deliver an answer i'm not i feel i want to tell you what to do but that's not really my role my role in a lot of ways is to listen to you to ask powerful questions to really help you arrive at a conclusion that makes sense for your value set for your goals for your you know sort of worldview uh and it's not mine it's yours and so those are all things that you know maybe some skills that aren't entirely necessary uh, in day-to-day practice in law, but certainly couldn't be helpful, uh, especially when you're talking about team dynamics and operating efficiently. Yeah. So AI, um, that's like the topic du jour of 2023. Um, does it come up where you're at? Do people talk about it? Do students talk about it? Faculty? Um, is it all the time? Is it not at all? Are students concerned about it? What's uh I think like everybody, we're we're trying to figure it out, um, what to do next. I think there are conversations that are happening. There's just like, I think you probably get emails like I do, which is this panel's being held to talk about ChatGPT and what do we do with AI and, and you know, the a variety of opinions like this is, you know, the calculator has finally arrived for, you know, lawyers, uh, you know, this is going to be a, a enormous shift. And there's another group that says, this is just like, you know, when Westlaw and Lexus really sort of came online it's you know like this is efficiencies will be gained um you know and i have these conversations with alums and and practitioners i was just having a conversation last night with with an attorney uh, at a big firm and you know i said what are you guys doing with with ai and you know he said ironically uh some of it is really helpful to help humanize you know some of our work uh you know we, we i can put a letter into the in, or a statement into chat gpt and say like you know can you please write this in a letter to a client and all of a sudden it comes with you know some of the more soft skills that that sometimes attorneys are are looking to build um but and the other part is the ethical component i mean that's certainly going to have to be addressed by firms and and 
by by law schools and law students. Um, in a law school, it takes the form of an exam. You know, is this really your own work? Or in an application, is this really your own work? Uh, in an essay and in practice, it's going to be in the form of uh, did you really spend, you know, point four doing this, or was this really something you could do in point one now? And you know, that's that's going to be part of I think the evolution of the conversation. Yeah, and students haven't gotten to that point where they're like worried as it's going to take away my jobs down the road or to the extent that might be a future worry they got or imminent worries in front of them. I, I think, you know, students uh, I, I heard I was I, I was in actually Chicago at a conference and they had a group of students uh, not from Michigan, uh, but they were asking them questions about, you know, AI and what did they think about it? And I thought the students had I, I'm sure they were prepared at some level, but they they had a really thoughtful response, uh, which which gave me a lot of 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 um, of hope, and I was just impressed generally. It was this idea of, well, look, information gathering may now no longer be as important of a skill for attorneys. Like over the next 10 to 15 years, really, what may become more important is our capacity to analyze, to to spot errors in things that are being generated by editing, you know, uh, editing and spotting errors in in things that are being generated by computers, and the soft skills that we all know are are very important in in the practice of law, um, but the actual go find it may not be as important or analyze this large batch of information that may be done more efficiently by by AI and that's okay and I thought boy that's a they're right that's a fairly nuanced response something we don't always don't always hear in, in 2023 society so uh, that that that's that's optimistic um what are the things you're most proud of that you've uh, that you've done in your job maybe major accomplishments that keep you kind of doing this that get you excited that you go home and tell your family about what are the things you're most proud about? Boy, this is, uh, they're not the big things. Uh, it's yeah. the little things, you know, I mean, you, you came into this job really because I wanted to work with students and, you know, the notes that I get from students are really sort of some of the best, you know, uh, ways of, of, of being compensated in this role. I just got an email yesterday from a student who's a second year associate at a big firm, an alum who's a second year associate at a big firm in DC. And uh, she said, you told me this thing during our one hour year. And candidly, I don't remember telling her this, um, <laughs> but but she said, you I mean, what she's I don't remember the specific conversation, but it's certainly oh, yeah. something I told her. And and uh, she said, you know, this this was absolutely I know you said it just in passing, but it has revolutionized the way I think about things. I've been doing, you know, it's an exercise of like how to keep yourself organized and things like that. And. And, uh, you know, she said, like, I'm I'm such a better I made it through law school with this advice. I'm such a better lawyer as a result. Like, thank you. I can't uh, tell you how much I appreciate it. And it's so it's that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like I've, it's a bunch of small differences that that make up a big change. Now, you're making me feel bad now. I feel like I didn't write anything to the people in career services when I was there. <laughs> I have to find out who was there when I was there and send them an email. And, <laughs> bad way to go into a weekend for me. I'm feeling I'm feeling bad about that. Um, what are the what are the so alternatively what are the what are the toughest parts? What's the what's the part of the job that's maybe the most complex? You know, maybe others don't see it that way, but you found it out over the last you know eight or nine years. I mean, seeing up close what the uh, you know the mental health crisis in higher ed. I mean, and and that the feeling that it's it's only deepening um, as time goes on. I, I think that's the most challenging part. I mean, students don't have career planning problems, um, you know, or higher ed is organized in, you know, a structural way where there's a 
you know, most schools have something like a student life office. They've got uh, an academic advising office. They have a career planning, something or another. Um, and students don't have problems that fit neatly into the segmentation of, of, of institutions. They just have a problem and it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. So the challenging part is how do you support a student who's suffering in a, let's say in a career search, but suffering because they have really, you know, a challenging mental health issue that they're dealing with. And there's only a limit to what I can do to help them, but deciding, you know, is this, is this an area, how, how can I help you? Like, can I connect you with other services? Is it even possible for me to help you in the career search before these other things get, you know, squared away and addressed? Like that's that's really challenging um, and, and tough to see, you know, tough to see in a lot of instances. Yeah, so, uh... What's next for you? I mean, what uh, what's 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 coming next for you? What's the the next professional challenge you, you want to tackle? I'm not asking, you know, what job do you want next? You know, do you have your resume you know, updated? I didn't mean that, but like, how do you want to grow as a leader? What are you looking to accomplish? What's the where are you in five, 10 years? The skills you want to work on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. It's in I think it's one where, uh, you know, it's I don't have a specific. This is a job that I want next. I'm pretty happy where I'm at, but that said, I now know what happy looks like for me. You know, I can point to a specific set of skills that and a spe specific set of experiences that would need to exist in any job for me to be excited about it. So, you know, I I think the um, the leadership skills that I've built being in this office, I think are ones that I'd love to continue to grow. I mean, I'd love to be a more efficient manager. I'd love to be a better leader. Um, I really think that the part about working with students is important to me. And so whether or not they're students or they're alums, you know, sort of some version of coaching is 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 always going to be part of my career, I think, going forward. Um, whether that's in a law school or somewhere else, I mean, I, I, I hope it's here. Uh, I'll be here until this is no longer fun or they tell me I got to go. But um, but I think it's it's nice to have a clear sense for what it is that I want to do. So Ramji, we uh, we hear about these you know hot spots or whatever they're called at other campuses like at uh, Yale or California. They get a lot of attention on Twitter. Um, you know things build up, um, frustrations and issues, and they get in the news. You know without obviously getting into specifics because you aren't at those places, you don't know the details. How do you think situations like that arise? And are there uh, now that you've been in a place like this for eight years? Do you see? Do you think of things that institutions can do to avoid being in the firing line of one of those sort of big nationwide publicity attracting incidents? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's um, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I think a recognition that we, we live in an increasingly polarized world and, you know, students uh, students come to law school with an intention to make change, uh, or at least a lot of students do. They want to be active participants in the conversation for change. And so first recognizing that there's a lot of passion that's being, you know, sort of displayed in these, you know, these things that make the news, I think is one important part of the process is to recognize that it's, you know, sort of it's part of the the the, the group that's coming to law school is interested in, in being change makers. And I think we should applaud that. Um, but at the same time, you know, sort of we have to respect free speech, you know, we're a public institution, we certainly do. Um, and and I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, you've got to build trust with students. I mean, students have got to know, you know, that that if you're trying to advise them on certain approaches that they're taking in terms of advocacy or protest, they've got to trust 
you as a as a human that that you're also not just trying to dissuade them from doing something and um you know and, and i think there's a there's a particular obligation in law schools i mean we're we're at least for us um you know we're trying to help them understand that there can be real value in in studying the counter argument as an example um, but it's it's difficult. It's it's one of those difficulties in in law schools and and in higher ed that we have we're going to continue to have to grapple with, and uh, you know hopefully hopefully there's education that's happening you know along the way. So well, and things on a uh, one of the things on a more on a more fun note. So uh, you big Michigan football fan. What are your? I just learned that this podcast is going to go out um, basically around Labor Day. So they'll probably play. I just looked at the schedule. They'll play one game at that point. So they'll be either one and zero or zero and one when this goes live. But what's they'll your, be they'll what, be one and zero. They'll be one. Yeah, I saw yeah. the schedule. Looks looks like one and zero. I don't want to make a horrible uh, thing. And I I am a I am a general Michigan fan. I, you are a huge Michigan fan. But what is your prognosis? Is it fourteen and zero, fifteen and zero, or whatever? Or, uh, are you more tempered? Oh no, I'm never tempered. I'm I'm uh, <laughs> it's national championship or bust. We're 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 a we're we're a complete team this year. I think that the uh, you know the schedule lines up well for us. I think this is a this is a national championship season. I'll go all in on being a maize and blue Kool Aid drinker. I love that. I'm more of actually, a, you know, I, I mean, I do root for Michigan for sure, and I root for them over Ohio State, but I'm kind of a Big Ten fan, so when both teams lost this year, I would have been incredibly depressed, except that I actually had to go to the hospital that night for an emergency um, procedure, and so actually, I didn't have the chance to be depressed because I was feeling horrible at the time. Otherwise, I probably would have been really bummed out that night, but I think Michigan's going to be great this year. I don't know about 15-0. and 0. You're, you're definitely more optimistic, but you might know a lot more than I do. It's probably, probably true for sure. I'm going to go um, with that. Yeah, they're just they're just they're, they're just complete. They're stacked complete. It's one of the most complete team that uh, I think Harbaugh's had. So we're we're excited to have a great season. As you know, I'm a big Illinois fan. So it's the same thing every year. Six and six, baby. It's a big it's the, uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the it's the race for it's a race for six. Um, um, last year was a very close game. I have my heart. Yeah, I think my... we actually until the, the until the TCU game, I think we were the team that gave Michigan the big the hardest biggest run for their money. Absolutely. Um, so I, so I'll, I'll take I'll take that for sure. For sure. Um. Well, Ramji, thanks for joining us today. As always, great to speak with you. I'm going to be at my uh, reunion in October. I hope we uh, have the chance to see you there at the next um, the next Denton's alumni event, which hopefully you and I can both go to. Absolutely. Thanks, Michael, for having me, and uh, and go blue. So that will do it for this episode. We'd love to get your feedback on these podcasts. Feel free to email me at msacks at mlaglobal.com and tell me what you liked and what you didn't like and any suggestions for future topics of episodes. In the meantime, you should see one of these podcasts every month um, and look for the next one as soon as it becomes available. So long, everyone. Thank you for listening to In-House Legal Uncovered. Join us next time as we dig into another topic that will better help you navigate your in-house legal career.